and I see hundreds of comments that are bashing me online, it doesn't affect me because my self-worth is not based off what other people think of me, good or bad. What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the basement yard, Vine, the Low Priori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and today I'm joined by social media influencer, mental health advocate, content creator, Josh Sider. Josh, how you doing today? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah. So the first question I have for today is you're live, right? Yes, I appear to be. I am live. I'm well. I'm back in my hometown out in the cornfields in Illinois, but I'm here in the flesh. Yes. Or on the iPhone. Talking about being alive. What's that like? What's that like to be alive today? I mean, it feels good, all things considered. I think it was crazy. Um, look, it was absolutely bonkers what happened. You know, my social media got hacked. And the next thing I know, I'm, you know, on CNN and in The Guardian and Breitbart and every People magazine. And it's absolutely amazing to me the power that technology has and how it can be misused to where something like a prank can result in real serious real world consequences. So it feels good to be alive. I think I have a greater respect and a greater appreciation for certain things given how crazy last week was. So I really take last week as a lesson in how our lives can be upended by technology. Somebody broke into my Twitter one time and was like tweeting stuff. So like, I know actually what it's like to be like hacked. I know maybe you can't talk about it, but like, do you care about who hacked your, your thing? Are you trying to find out who, or are you just kind of being like, it's the internet? So that's actually a great question. A lot of people ask me this question and and they seem to only ask it with one line of thought or expecting a certain answer. And I think the way you asked it is actually a great way to ask it, which takes into account my mental health, which is productive. And is it beneficial to my mental health to obsess and worry about something that occurred in the past? Because obsessing about things in the past and in the future is basically the sums up all of mental health and mental illness. And that's a big trigger for it. So for me, you know, tried to find out what what happened, tried to figure out who it could have been. But I have come up with no answers. And I'm not going to drive myself crazy or spend the rest of my life agonizing over something that has been remedied and something that was fixed. It was unfortunate, but I'm not going to um, spend the next five years making myself miserable to provide answers to people that I don't even know. So I wish that, you know, I caught somebody red-handed or that someone had come forward and admitted that they were the culprits, but that didn't happen. And like most things in life, I never came to an answer for it. And that's okay. I'm able to keep living. And I hope other people can keep living too that were affected by it or that, you know, got caught up in it. But 
for my mental health, I'm choosing to look towards the future and I'm choosing not to focus on the past. So I hear you. How's your screen time doing these days? So my social media was crazy. I mean, I had hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of DMs that I had to sift through days after this occurred because I was being bombarded with phone calls from Inside Edition, Extra, TMZ. I cannot think of one mainstream news outlet that didn't. So after all of that occurred for like three or four days, then I got sifting through my social media and started noticing that my story views were at 25,000 a pop just for my story. Then of course that has gone down since then. This was in, you know, the days immediately after the hack. Of course. But I've gotten a lot of comments too. I mean, obviously anyone can go to my social media and see the engagement that's there on my posts and it's crazy. And I've gotten a lot, hundreds and hundreds of comments telling me I did it myself and I'm the one who hacked it and telling me to kill myself and telling me that I'm a fake mental health advocate and I'm the worst kind of a person. And then for every one of those, I also have comments from people that are like, your page has helped me so much over the last few years. I love you so much. I'm so glad you're still alive. So like anything in life, an incident occurred, an event occurred, and some people are choosing to interpret it one way. Some people are choosing to interpret it another. By viewing my engagement in the comments, I'm convinced that whoever wants to be miserable is going to be miserable, and whoever wants to be happy is going to be happy. And so I choose to just focus on the positive comments. But the engagement has been crazy, and I'm trying to uh, you know, continue doing what I've done for the last six years, which is keep talking about mental health awareness and keep raising awareness about depression, anxiety, OCD, and all the other things that plague so many people out there. Absolutely. How's your mental health today in this moment? Mental health's good. It's hard, you know, because it's so crazy. You go from being in the middle of something where there's a false sense of importance. So if you're being interviewed by TMZ or today.com or Good Morning America or CNN, like I was, and you have hundreds of these networks calling your phone, texting you, emailing you, you have this false, and it truly is false, sense of importance for a little bit of time. And I think if you put any stock into that, or you start to think that that's normal, or you you draw sweeping generalizations on your self-worth based on momentary interest in your story. I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Thankfully, my age at 36 and having been in the industry for so long, I didn't put a lot. I was grateful to be interviewed by People Magazine and Good Morning America. And you know, I tried to use those moments to talk about mental illness and stuff like that. But I didn't draw sweeping generalizations about myself based on it. Like, I'm so important. I'm good. I'm great because of this. There's something that's momentarily of interest to the media. I'm at the center of it. And this is only going to last for a few days. And then when it goes away, it's going to be back to life as normal. I think because I was prepared for that and understood that when life did return to normal, like it did a few days ago, I was okay. And it was still a transition to go from hundreds and hundreds of Instagram messages and thousands and thousands of views and, you know, being on TV to just, you know, yeah, waking up, going to the gym, cooking food, hanging out with my family. So it was an adjustment, but it wasn't a bad adjustment or a precipitous one or one that affected my mental health. 
I think I learned a lesson from it, which is just that just because people are momentarily interested in you, it doesn't make you better than anyone. It doesn't make you great. It doesn't make you important. And when the converse or inverse of that is also true, when that attention goes away, it doesn't make you unimportant. It doesn't make you bad and it doesn't make you worthless. So I think it's so important because as humans, we're always drawing generalizations about our self-worth based on other people's approval of us, I think it's important to really try to practice not conditioning our self-worth on other people's approval of us. And I think that's why when I see hundreds of comments that are bashing me online, it doesn't affect me because my self-worth is not based off what other people think of me, good or bad. I agree with that. And in your situation, as somebody who's dealt with mental health for a long time, pretty much your entire life, yes. to kind of have to have something happen that much, that's such an impactful thing. The hardest part for me would be is people saying that I'm not a, a real mental health advocate. See, I'm just being honest like about me. I'm just saying that would mess with me a lot. I even find it, even in, in my line of work too, it's you're not going to be able to make everybody happy anyway. I'm going to make everybody happy. So you might as well, if you're going to piss people off, you might as well piss them off doing what you love instead of doing what you hate. I, I would sure hate to be living a fake false life where I'm doing things to please others and then they're not even pleased with me. So the one thing that I'm proud of is that when I piss people off, at least I know that I'm being true to myself and then I don't have secondary regret on top of the regret that I have for already being a people pleaser. So I just keep doing what I'm doing. And, you know, people that, as you said, it's kind of a shot in the gut when you've worked six, seven years for to, you know, raise awareness about something. And then they're telling you that you're a fake, you're a fraud, but it's just, again, I can't emphasize how meaningless and how inconsequential random trolls words are to me on social media. You know, I try to just focus on the good. If Good Morning America and People Magazine does a great piece, you know, talking about me and mental health awareness and suicide prevention, that makes it easier when some random troll on Instagram is like, oh, you're a fraud. Well, it's just you got to decide what you want to focus on. And I'm trying to focus on the good, which is the uh, platform I have and, and how it can be used to continue doing good, no matter what people try to say about me. They're wasting their breath. So it, it does not bother me at all. In a sense, for like lack of better terms, like any publicity is good publicity, right? In terms of like getting exposure. But there are risk rewards that people don't really think about, like your mental health and what you're going to go through if something's going to happen and be on these TV shows and do all this stuff. And like you said, in three days, it goes away. Yeah. But your mental health is going to be there. You know, it's going to have its ups and downs. And I have to say that I do commend you in terms of talking about mental health, because honestly, you were kind of talking about it before it was cool to talk about it. I've always say that on the show, like I was depressed before it was cool. That's yeah. that, that, that's my joke. You know what I mean? Just like being a kid, like a guy who was homeschooled and you grew up in a very religious like family, then you're dealing with anxiety and depression. Did you ever think like any of this would be your life, like including The Bachelorette? No, I you know, I didn't. It is kind of crazy how 
odd my life is, as you mentioned, going from being a homeschooled kid in central Illinois that was very sheltered and isolated to stripping on television and, you know, having his image plastered everywhere on social media. And then recently all over TV and and all over the media, it's definitely not something I envisioned. It's not something I planned for. I am grateful that I feel like I have used what little voice and little, and I use little comparatively, what little voice I have on social media to talk about meaningful, substantive things like suicide prevention and mental health awareness. But it's, you know, definitely not what I imagined. I always thought I was going to go to law school, become a lawyer, become a judge, and that I was going to be sitting atop my little judge throne, you know, adjudicating court cases. So this is a far cry from that. But I really did fall in love with just speaking out for marginalized groups, specifically with what I can identify with, which is depression and anxiety. I think because I lived with it for so long, starting 21 years ago when I was 15, then I lived in silence for about 13, 14 years. I think that when I started blogging about it on Instagram and talking about it and seeing the power that that had and the connectivity that resulted from me being open and transparent about it, I fell in love with that. And it made me realize that law was not where my heart was and that deciding dry court cases and reading dry legal precedents gave me absolutely zero sense of fulfillment. And I wish it did. Law school was expensive. Law school was grueling. I spent three years of my life working my butt off in law school, and I paid a lot of money to go there, but it just was not my life's purpose. And I feel like I do have purpose with mental health, and I feel like I feel like I am making strides and I am a fairly visible proponent of mental health awareness on a national stage, which makes me feel good about that and validated for the path I chose. But I think even people that don't have my platform and aren't on the national stage and aren't giving out interviews, I think their work is just as important. But as concerns me, having given up law school, given up a career in law, kind of made my family mad by not pursuing it. I feel a bit of confirmation when I see that the things I'm saying about mental health are being published and printed, you know, in magazines that I read when I'm at the, you know, dental office or the doctor's office. So that's nice to have. But again, going back to what we said earlier, that all that can disappear at any time. So I think it's important that no matter what we do and no matter what kind of exposure we're getting, that we just do what we love. And thankfully, I've done that, whether or not there's media there to pick it up or not. So following that, I'm going to ask the question everybody wants to know. What was your stripper name? My stripper name was Tanner Sharp. Tanner Tanner Sharp. That's a good one. With an E on the end of Sharp. Ah, okay. And when I run into, and it's not often, but occasionally I'll run into a guy I used to dance with. I started dancing in 2012 in downtown Chicago in my last year of law school. So that was 11 years ago. Occasionally I'll run into somebody from back then and they'll still call me Tanner. And it's just like second nature. Hey, Tanner, what's up? And I'll be like, hey, what's up? Like, it's just, so that's pretty funny. Yeah. Could you right now still put on the performance of a lifetime? I was a young kid. I was 25 then. I had just turned 25 when I started dancing. I'm, I just turned 36 now. I could still do it, and I still do dance occasionally. Every month or so, I 
will headline and be the guest celebrity dancer at a show. Usually it's in somewhere in Illinois or Wisconsin or Michigan or somewhere near where I live. But I, I still do it from time to time. Now, my cardio is not up to par where it was, but I feel my dance moves are pretty close. But I will be the first to admit that I'm not 25 anymore. I'm 36 and my bedtime is usually 830 at night. So it, it's difficult. Hey, listen, if it's a shorter set, it's got to be a shorter set. But, you know, you, you, you do what you got to do. That's what I tell my boss. I say, look, this might last about 12 minutes, and then you're just going to have to tell the DJ to cut the music. If we could spin anything out of the last week is, you know, maybe we branch out and, and, and do a world tour and I'll only take 10%. You know, I think it might look bad if you capitalize on a terrible hack with, a you know, a strip show. But we'll donate all the tips and all the proceeds to a mental health charity of your choice, and we'll do it for charity, and I'll take you up on it. And I'll, I'll even get up there. All right. You know what I mean? I'll call myself Brown Thunder. If you're going to do it, I, I got to do it too. You know what I'm saying? Every time you get like negative stuff, right, it's hard to see the good ones while the, the, like there's so like negative stuff, you know, and it's like. Something about us, I think people that deal with anxiety and depression and people pleasing and stuff like that, it's like we're almost more prone to respond to negativity than we are to positivity. Do you feel like that was something that you were going through? Yeah, I feel like in my everyday life, I tend to hone in and zero in on the one negative comment, even if there's 150 positive ones surrounding it, whether it's on my Instagram feed in my everyday life, if I'm out in public, I always just my brain zeroes in on the negative. And so it's very hard to get out of that bad habit. And so oftentimes me or more usually my friends have to remind me, Josh, look, I get that this you know, this media outlet published this story that's slamming you and lying and saying that you did X, Y, and Z. But look at these 25 other articles that just came out today that are saying the complete opposite. I'm like, I know, but why would they say this? Like, I can't get over. And so it really is a mental mind F that you have to get yourself out of. And I think cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been my saving graces, probably the best way to restructure your catastrophic thinking and your negative thinking and restructure it into less damaging thoughts where if something happens that you don't like, it doesn't upset your entire day or throw you off. And that has been instrumental along with just getting older and getting more mature and emotionally mature. That's been instrumental in allowing me to, even though my initial reaction is always to focus on the negative things someone said, to, to just be objective and understand that that's one comment. That might be 10% of the comments, but 90% of the comments are positive. And so, um, yeah, it's something you have to work at every single day and it never, it never gets easy. And I have to keep reminding myself of it. So when we decide to put ourselves in the public eye, right. And it's, it becomes that situation where not everybody's going to like what you do or like anything about you. And you just have to kind of be willing to learn to how to accept that. Like, I wonder if mental health, like therapists, if there's going to be like counselors for people who are like on the internet or in entertainment. Like, do they have that yet? 
I am sure they do. I know Jonah Hill came out with a pretty good, it was a pretty good Netflix show about him and his therapist who I think specializes in celebrities. And so I'm sure there is, if not, I'm sure that niche will be carved out soon because as you pointed out earlier, mental health had a stigma to it 10, 15 years ago, a stigma that has since fallen off and no longer exists. And so I think as mental health issues become more openly talked about, more mainstream, I think that we'll see a lot of progress in that field. And I think a lot of people will be getting the services that they need that haven't been there before. It's, you know, similar in progress to the LGBTQ movement and how they were invisible for decades in America. And now it's, you know, nobody even bats an eye at it and they have almost everybody's support. So I I hope that the same thing happens with mental health. I see mental health awareness kind of on the same spectrum as LGBTQ rights, where it's seen as a human, you know, it's about human dignity, you know, being able to be open and honest about who you are, whether you're gay, bisexual, struggling with a mental illness, you know, those are human rights that need to be addressed. And I think if we all want to live in a more, not, not to pontificate or give some grand speech. But I think if we want to live it up in a better society, we should start being more understanding of where people are and meeting them where they're at and being more accepting of people who don't fit our traditional notions of what's quote unquote normal. Yeah. Hopefully we keep going in, in a progressive direction when it comes to mental health. For sure. For you and suicide prevention, right? I always wanted to ask somebody this question. Do you think that there are a lot of common things in people who want to commit suicide? And then do you think that it's almost like a snowflake, like almost everybody's kind of an individual, so it's hard for everybody to find treatment? I think that there are a a lot of commonalities, common denominators in people that struggle with mental health in general, and specifically, you know, suicide attempts or suicide ideations. I think at, at its basis, it's people that want to be loved. I think the only reason you would want to leave the world is if you feel unloved. And I can't speak for anybody else, but I can speak for myself. When I dealt with it, and I had two suicide attempts in my life, it was feelings of loneliness and feelings of being unloved, not mattering. You feel inconsequential. What's the point of me being here? And so I think that definitely is exists in everyone. So to go to your question, that would be kind of a common denominator, I think, in people that struggle with it is, is those feelings of isolation and being unloved or unlovable. I think people are also super unique from person to person. So I wouldn't want to generalize. They're not a right. modern people who deal with suicide, they're not a monolith. They have different characteristics from person to person. But I think there's definitely some commonalities and some general things that people that deal with that struggle with. But it it definitely is a case-by-case basis, which is why I think it's so important that each person (laughs) have a therapist and someone they talk to that knows them. It took me 50 or 60 therapists before I found one that worked for me. I felt like none of the other therapists I went to for 20 years had even an inkling of what I was dealing with. I mean, you could tell that they didn't from the things that they would say to me. And then I found a therapist who literally knows what I'm thinking before I think it. I've been in therapy 
now since I was 15, so 21 years. And I see a therapist, I just had a session yesterday. And so I think it's very important that people talk to therapists because going back to your question, each person is so unique dealing with such a unique set of circumstances in their life that it's not a one size fits all approach. And it's a case by case basis. Absolutely. And um, so for you, future, what are we looking like? Because I have to live my life like every 30 seconds at a time, like not even a minute. I can't even like see what I'm going to do five hours. I don't even know what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight, to be honest with you. Like, I'm just not that planned out of a person. I was going to say, I, I'm like a meal to meal guy. So my time span is usually every two and a half to three hours, which is what am I going to have for my next meal? I've worked very hard, as have most people in my life. So thankfully, I'm in a position financially with having a very successful OnlyFans that provides passive income where I don't have to do anything. I post on my OnlyFans maybe once every three weeks or something. And so that provides, you know, a safety net and a sense of financial stability, but I still need to feel fulfilled and I still need to strive for something. I still need to have a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. So a very good book I read that goes to that point is Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. And that is one of the best books in therapy and mental health that talks about how do we find meaning and purpose in our lives, because that is what's going to lead to happiness. So to answer your question, every day I try to find something that gives me a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning so that I can find happiness. And my OnlyFans doesn't do that because it's just there and it pays the bill. My Instagram gives me some sense of purpose and happiness because I can blog about mental health to people and connect to other people that are dealing with it. Fitness is somewhere else that I set find a sense of purpose and meaning when I'm at the gym. So it's it's just basic things that give me grounding and structure day to day. I don't have any lofty plans or grand plans in the future for world domination or anything. <laughs> yeah. Purpose and meaning in my day to day life. I want to be healthy. I want to be sober. And I want the work that I do to make a difference and have an impact. And so I'm just striving towards all of those things day to day. And, you know, spending more more and more time with family is definitely a priority. At my age, I lost my father two years ago. I lost both my grandparents. My brothers moved away. My nieces and nephew no longer live here. So I went from having the entire family unit here in Illinois to nobody really. And so I try to spend as much time as I can with the family that that is around and traveling to see family in other states. So I think the older I get, the more I appreciate the importance of family and realizing who really matters in my life. Because, you know, when you're young, you think that, oh, this romantic partner, these guys I meet in love are what's important to me. And as you get older, you know, you're like, it's family, you know, that that's who's important. So that's my goal, I guess, if I had to have one is spend as much time as I can with family in the next 10 years. So I hear you. Family is always a good thing. Family is always a good thing. And some people are, we're blessed to just have good relationships with our family. Some people don't have that. What's your relationship like with uh, the big man upstairs these days? So, you know, I grew up, as as you mentioned, being homeschooled. I was homeschooled by born again, Christian, conservative parents. They were 
principles. And so religion was something that was coerced on us and forced on us from a very, very early age. And it wasn't just, oh, go to church on Sundays. It was every facet of your mind and body was controlled, dictated, and needed to comport with what Jesus Christ wanted. And understandably, after 17 years in a row of that, me and my brothers were sick and tired of it. And thought that a lot of it was probably fictitious and bordered on science fiction. So I am an agnostic. I'm open to the possibility that there could be a creator out there. There's 4,299 religions. I think it would be presumptuous of me to say that 4,298 are false, and I have found the one that's real. Ricky Gervais is the one who, you know, made that noted that office and i just think it would be ridiculous for me to presume that i have a personal relationship with whatever deity created this universe but hey i'm open if they come down on a white horse and talk to me tomorrow i would be all ears if they said they're going to give me eternal salvation i'd be like yeah give it to me let's i'll do whatever you want have never had a God, have never seen God. God's never revealed himself to me. God never helped fix my mental illness. God never did anything when I was struggling with mental illness. All my prayers seem to fall on deaf ears. So I'm an empirical kind of guy. I like evident things. So for me, Christianity or the other 4,298 religions don't really do much for me. I think a life philo- there's other life philosophies that are better like stoicism or things that cognitive behavioral therapy teach us that can act as life philosophies and give us a happy life they can help us find happiness and meaning in our life i think christianity falls really short i think christianity makes people miserable i think people punish themselves with the christian philosophy and i think it's all about self-abnegation self-denial And I think it leads to just a lot of misery and self-loathing. So for me, Christianity would never work. My mom loves it, swears by it, still wants me to be saved. I'm glad that she likes Christianity, but it's just not for me. So I'm an agnostic, but yeah. um, I hear you. You want to know what it is too? It's uh, my father was a, was a pastor coming up. So I know kind of what it's like to think if I drink this Yoo-Hoo, Jesus is going to come get after me and I'm going to be in trouble. I always say, I think it's good for people to have their own relationships with whatever they want to do. I get freaked out a little bit at like, uh, I see like Joel Austin like on TV, you know what I mean? And I'm like, this guy's going to leave here in a Rolls Royce and like these people are going to leave in a Honda Civic. Doesn't make any sense. Not very godlike. And if a Honda Civic gets flooded by a hurricane, don't go back to the stadium that Joel Austin just left because he's going to lock the doors and he won't let you use it. So yes. that's that's very Noah-esque of him. And then he'll get a tax break for doing that. So. Oh, yeah, 100%. I just wanted to say thank you for being so transparent with us and spending time with us today. I know you've been just busy as fuck. So I really appreciate you just uh, coming and hanging out with us for a little bit today. The last question that I have for you, I ask everybody. The same question at the end of the show is in this moment right now, are you happy today? I guess it's a nuanced answer. Like with any day, it is filled with moments of happiness, moments of doubt, moments of sadness, moments of regret. But I have the tools through cognitive behavioral therapy to 
generally make it a happy day. Nothing has to be perfect. The best hitters in baseball bat 300. That means they're missing two out of three times. So I try if every day I can take the good, the bad, the ugly, the sadness, but generally have a pretty good day that I think I'm winning. And today is definitely one of those days where it's been a gambit of the emotions. I mean, it's natural. I'm bipolar. So I'm going to be on either side of it constantly. And I have anxiety, which kind of has the same effect. But luckily, I have the tools to generally make it a good day. And today so far is a good day. Awesome. Again, like I said, I really I really hope that you're doing well mentally and you're taking the time throughout like all this shit. It's bullshit. You know what I mean? Just to make sure that you're in a good spot. Yeah, I appreciate that. I am. You know, I find that the my biggest vice is, is social media. So if I'm on there and I'm reading comments or I'm cruising Google to see what's being said about me, I realize my mood instantly drops. And so I'm pretty good at stepping back and recognizing what's making me miserable. And so luckily I can put a stop to it very quickly. I think a lot of people, my father was one before he passed, who did not understand what was making him miserable, why he was in such a bad mood. And it's usually because we're masochists. We're putting ourselves through something that's punishing us that we don't have to. For me, that's reading comments or reading articles that are saying terrible things about me. So I'll just turn off my phone or I'll get off my phone and I'll go for a walk. So I think it's important that we be self-aware and that we have the tools to kind of restructure our thoughts with cognitive behavioral therapy. And we know when we're making ourselves miserable, when we don't have to, I don't have to sit on Instagram and read 500 comments that are talking trash about me. I don't have to read 15 articles today to see what's being said about me today. I can choose to put my phone down, turn off the TV and go for a walk or go shoot hoops or whatever. So I try to be self-aware and I try to do that. But Social media is hard. It's a rabbit hole. And that's why it's so addicting because it is so hard to put down. But I think for everyone's mental health, you know, not to pontificate, but studies show that increased usages of Facebook and social media in general lead to higher rates of anxiety and, and depression. So there is definitely a positive correlation between high social media use and depression. And so if we can kind of break that link by putting our phones down, turning them off, I think we'll be happier in general. So I always say too much of anything is going to make you feel like shit at some That's, point. It's you know? even, I like to eat, but if I eat 10 pizzas, I'm going to feel like a piece of shit. So, oh yeah. You know, 10 pizzas. I mean, even if you exercise too much, your heart's going to have enough at some point. I've gone through that too, where I put my salvation in working out or looking good or building muscle. And I just make myself miserable. So again, that's where cognitive behavioral therapy steps in and allows you to restructure the thought of I must look good. I need to look good. I, I must be approved by others. And it says, no, you can prefer to look good, prefer to want to look out, but you don't need to work out, but you don't need to. You don't need to get other people's approval. You don't need six pack abs. And if you break your diet, that's okay. And so I'm constantly trying to utilize cognitive behavioral therapy because I have an addictive personality. I get a little obsessive about anything I do and working out is no exception. Yeah. I talk to myself like all day, every day. It's literally like there's another person like standing next to me being like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if you should eat that. You know, let's, let's try to have three chips today instead of 30. 
You know, so that's like, that's usually my daily. There's two Joshes all the time. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I need to go see if I have split personality disorder or something. Yeah. I wouldn't <laughs> but, be surprised if I had it. I'll be honest with you. There's always two narratives going on in my brain. Like I said, again, thank you so much for coming and spending time whirlwind that you've been going through. But for people that want to continue to hear your story and keep up with you and see what you got going on, where can they find you? So yeah, they can find me on Instagram. That's the only platform I have that I use. And so I'm posting on there a lot, usually on my story. Yeah, that's where they can find me. Instagram, it's Josh Sider Official. All right, there it is. There you have it, guys. And you can follow us at one one OTC. I want to thank our guest, Josh Sider, coming on here today and hanging out with us for a little bit. And uh, you guys might see us touring the country, taking our clothes off. Yes. You know what I'm saying? All donations going to charity. He will be the first act. I'll be the second act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll open for you. I don't think I can close because I think my cardio is way worse than yours. <laughs> Mine's pretty good. a really short show. Yeah. <laughs> but again, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff, presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, We're all in this together, and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment.